Thank you, worship team. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here. Is it good to see me or what? Well, maybe we'll try again later. <laughs> uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us online, probably more than a few, uh, or, or a few more than normal, just because of the ice around. So we appreciate you guys making it in here. You didn't fall on your way in? Anybody? No? You made it through? Okay. Got enough sand and gravel out there. It's good to know. Uh, we are in the first Sunday of Advent, so welcome. And the theme is hope this morning. So uh, my first hope is that this will be kind of a decent message. Kind of hoping for that. Um, maybe you have uh, a place in your life where you need a little hope, and so maybe today uh, can be a, a moment for you to just remind yourself of the hope that uh, we have in God. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is uh, writing about, uh, he's actually addressing like the issue of speaking in tongues in the church. And he's writing about, uh, you know, how important it is to like say intelligible things to other people for the, for their benefit, so you can like edify the church. And then there's this section in there about love. He just kind of breaks out into a big long definition of what love is. And how many of you have been to a wedding ever? Okay, all right. So I'm sure you've heard this passage read at a wedding. It's like the standard go-to for a pastor preparing a wedding sermon. Because it's this really beautiful piece about what love is. You know, you know uh, love is patient, love is kind. Is this coming back to some of your memories, right? Uh, love keeps no record of wrongs. And if you're a married person, you're sitting at a wedding, you're like, you know, you're it's like, oh, shoot, 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 shoot. You know, uh, so it's very convicting. But... Uh, you know, so it's this very nice, nice piece in there. Just before that, uh, there's this verse, verse 13, where uh, Paul says that there are going to be these, there are these three things that are like eternal, three things that, you know, matter in a big way. This is my paraphrase. But he says those three things are faith, hope, and love. Now, I'm guessing you just breeze over those things. Right, like, oh yeah, I've heard that at a wedding, faith, hope, and love. I've seen, like, the graphic every once in a while, you know, like a nice poster, faith, hope, and love. Don't they just sound good together? Faith, hope, and love. Just rolls off the tongue. Uh, now, it's possible that Paul was just sort of in a poetic moment, and he was, like, trying to figure out some nice words that went together, and he knew he wanted to include faith, he knew, you know, love was kind of a big idea, and... So what would sound nice in between them? Well, let's try hope. It's possible that it's just totally random, but I don't think that that's actually the case. I think Paul was trying to figure out and thinking deeply about what are the essential things, like the, the, the core things. How can I, what are the things that are, that are just going to remain forever? Like the, the big, what are the big things? And these are the things that come to his mind. Faith, hope, and love. We get faith. Right? I mean, we talk about faith a lot. This is, it's part of the process of 
being saved, right? We, we say we're saved by faith, right? That's how we're saved. So at some point, we decide that Jesus really is who he said he was. He really did live and die and rise from the dead on the third day. And we make a decision to trust that that is true. Right? This happened 2,000 years ago. So we're, we are trusting that that is true. And we confess that Jesus is Lord. And so we have placed our faith in him. We get that. So that's a big one, right? Paul definitely should have included faith in the big three. And love, you know, we get that. That's like a major theme of Scripture, not just in Paul's little definition, but that's everywhere. I mean, you know, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, right? First uh, John, John tells us, you know, I'm giving you this command. It's not a new command. It's the command, love one another, right? I mean, this is... Love is a huge deal, and we get it, right? In fact, we're going to have a whole Sunday just about love coming up. But then hope. I mean, what's the big deal about hope? Is it really, is it as big as faith and love? Uh, Paul actually says, you know, the greatest of these is love. It kind of encapsulates everything. But he puts hope in here. Uh, you know, what is this about? Hope. Uh, you may not be identifying with hope just yet. Because maybe things in your life are going just smoothly. Maybe they've always gone just smoothly. I mean, your friends who say they like you, like actually like you. Uh, you know, your finances are in, a, they're in great shape. You really don't have any financial worries. You know, if you're married, you've got a great relationship with your spouse, your kids. They, they think you're awesome. Uh, I mean, you know, they, and they do what you ask them to do on the first time. I mean, you're just hitting on all cylinders, right? Everything is going so well for you. Uh, it might be hard for you to, like, sort of relate to this idea that hope is a big deal. But let me just tell you, you are an anomaly in the world. Uh, because there are a lot of people who are in hopeless situations. They need hope. This is a big, big deal for them. Uh, you know, I mean, there are quite a few people in the middle of war these days. I think the death toll is somewhere close to 20,000 in the Israeli Conflict. The death toll in the Ukraine conflict is in the hundreds of thousands. Uh, there are over 100 million people uh, who have been forcibly moved from their homes, from their cities, from their, you know, their countries in a lot of cases, and they live a life of a refugee. Uh, they're in a refugee camp or they're just in some random place, they've been, you know, they do not have a lot going for them. Uh, we could keep going just thinking about like, sort of like the darkness of this world, right? And, and the number of people who are just in a hopeless situation. I'm guessing 
You probably have a friend in your circle who is in a situation where they are at least feeling hopeless. They are feeling the, the darkness of this world. Uh, one of the reasons we celebrate hope or we focus on hope during Advent is because Jesus came into just such a world. A world that was filled with oppression and darkness Spiritual, physical, financial, political, every kind of oppression, even religious oppression was happening at the time of Jesus. And it's so interesting that God enters into this world at one of its darkest moments. It's a reminder to us that this is the area where God is very comfortable working. God is very comfortable showing up in these very dark situations. It almost seems like things have sort of been orchestrated so that God can show up at just the right moment in just the right situation to reveal to us our character and his character. I'll read you a story from Luke chapter 7. We'll start in verse 11. Jesus has been doing some, oh, we'll just call them fun miracles. Uh, been turning water into wine, uh, feeding thousands of people with a very small amount of food. Uh, but there comes this moment where Jesus does something that uh, really sets him apart. So soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. Uh, just sort of an important note here to, to get into the story a little bit is that Nain is the same town where Elijah the prophet has uh, prayed over a uh, only son of a widow who had died, and that son came back to life. Uh, Elijah did like this weird thing where he like, got on top of him. I don't know, prophets do weird things. That's one of the things we know from Scripture. And he did this weird thing where he got on top of this dead boy and somehow through the power of God that child was raised back to life uh, but it's interesting that it happens in the same place because there's you know that's that's part of what marks this territory this is where Elijah has been this is where Elijah has done this great thing or God has done this great thing through Elijah when the Lord saw her his heart overflowed with compassion. Uh, right? God is not just on his throne, like, laughing when we're going through difficult things. Like, oh, yeah, that's funny. You know, watch this person try to make it through the divorce. Uh, watch this person struggle through cancer. Uh, we're actually told that the opposite is true. Uh, that God is surrounding us with songs of victory. That God is for us and not against us. Uh, that God is full 
of compassion, that he is tender-hearted toward us. And we see that in the story. But he does say, don't cry. <laughs> Could you imagine being in this procession and being the mom of this boy who has died? This boy is her only hope, by the way. Uh, like, the plan for that woman to have any kind of security, stability, or any kind of abundance in life was to have sons. That was the one and only route to success for her. And so this was her last hope who has died. And Jesus comes into the scene and says, don't cry. If I was in the crowd, my first response would have been, that is, that is the rudest possible thing to say right now. <laughs> you know, this is a rabbi, but has he figured out like social cues? Like this is the worst possible thing to say in the worst possible moment. Before he says that, or excuse me, right after he says that, he walks up. Uh, they didn't have coffins really in those days, but to the stretcher. And he places his hand on the body of this boy, uh, which was a dramatic moment. Because as a, as a rabbi, people would have expected Jesus to like follow the rules. And there were lots of rules about how to stay ceremonially clean so that you were acceptable before God. One of, you know, you've heard of like eating kosher, right? There are certain foods and so forth that, forth that you did eat and that you didn't eat. Or a bunch of different ways in which you could screw things up. But the most prominent way you could definitely screw things up was by touching something dead. And chief among those things was touching a dead body of a human being. So Jesus is, I mean, he is going off just way out of bounds here when he does this. Of course, we know the rest of the story. And Jesus knew the rest of the story. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. There is one who can step into a situation there is one, regardless of how desperate, how dark the situation in is, who can step in and who can bring the right resource, who can exercise the right power, who has the authority necessary, who can change the circumstance and the outcome. There is one who has the power to do that. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd. That's like biblical for They praise God saying a mighty prophet. They're thinking Elijah, right? A mighty prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people today. Other translations say God has come to help his people. Uh, the dark is scary. I don't know if you've ever been in the dark before, probably as a child. 
you've experienced this. As adults, we just pretty much avoid it. We put lights everywhere. It's not that we get over our fear of darkness. We just know where the lights are. And we turn them on. Uh, but being in the dark is, is scary. Uh, you know, sorry for you tough guys out there, but it's like a you know, physiological fact. When we're in the dark, we are prone to fear. I remember when I was uh, 19, it was the first time I was living on my own. I was you know, on this backcountry road, living in a, uh, a trailer house. And I remember one night pulling up there, late at night, very dark, no moon. And uh, I got out of my truck, was walking toward my trailer, and I just was overcome with how dark it was. And, you know, fear immediately starts coming in. I just decided in that moment, like, okay, I'm like, I'm 19, I'm supposed to be a man now. I can't be afraid of the dark. What kind of man is afraid of the dark? And so I said, I'm going to get over this. And I went in the house, and I got a flashlight. And I got a, a pistol, a sidearm. And I went, and I just hiked out into the woods. And it was a, this thing was in a remote area. And I sat down on a stump. And I just told myself, I'm going to sit here until I have no fear of the darkness. The problem with that was, uh, there are lots of deer in this area. And if you're sitting in the pitch black dark, and you don't know what's making the sound, it's very hard to not be fearful. I can tell you this, very difficult. Uh, I, after a while, I, I like broke down and I turned my flashlight on and I realized I was like sitting right on top of a game trail and there were deer going right by me back and forth the whole time. And so it's like, okay, figured that fear out, turned my flashlight back off. And then I started to get more comfortable with the noises. Uh, then I started thinking about mountain lions. And uh, one thing about mountain lions is that you don't ever hear them coming. Because they have big, soft feet. And you just, you don't ever hear them coming. So you, you know, if there's a noise, now you know it's not a mountain lion. So that's noise. That's good. Noises are good. You want noises. It's the quiet. That really gets you. So I had to remind myself of some things. I had to remind myself of a truth and that is that animals are afraid of human beings. That is true. And if human beings don't show fear, the odds are they are not going to get attacked by an animal. I had to remind myself of that. I had to remind myself of the fact that animals are just, afraid, just as afraid of human beings in the dark as they are in the light. So why am I telling you that story? Um, because there are some things that we can do when we're in the darkness that can help us with that fear. There are some things that we can do. One is we can turn the light on, or we can get into a place of light, right? We can, get, um, we can, we can shine some light on what is happening. We hear a noise, turn the flashlight on. What is that, right? 
We can turn the light on in our life. That's like seeking, seeking truth. What is really true here? We need to, maybe we need to do some work or, or take action towards revealing what is true in our lives or in the world. The other thing we can do, right, is just like review things that are true about what is going on. The enemy loves to uh, enter into our lives when we're in dark places, right, when things are not going well for us and remind us of how much of a failure we are, of how dark and desperate the situation is, of how hopeless things are, right? That's the enemy loves when we're in that situation. But God also loves to work in the dark. God loves dispelling In Matthew uh, chapter 6, or excuse me, chapter 4, Matthew quotes Isaiah, and uh, you heard this earlier in the Advent reading, but uh, one of the things he says is, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. Or a light has dawned. Um, God loves to work at night in the darkness when uh, everything appears to be in chaos, when uh, the enemy appears to be winning, when evil appears to be advancing. Because this is just the perfect situation in order for God to show who really is in control who really can redeem, who truly has the authority, right? This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of Revelation, right? This is the story of the end times, is that evil will be at its height. And then God will show up at just the right time and exercise his full authority. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been excited about the dawn um, but this is the image given to us is that we're a people waiting through the night we're waiting for the dawn we're waiting for the light of the morning um, I was on Kodiak Island on a, on a goat hunt uh, several years ago and I was in a party of four and we uh, were able to uh, take three goats and while we were Harvesting these goats, there was a uh, a large uh, boar. I don't know if you've ever heard about Kodiak Island or not, but there are other animals other than goats there. Since they're big and hairy, and they're you know Kodiak brown bears, and uh, so we had a, a boar kind of patrolling an area over here, and a sow and a couple of cubs, large cubs patrolling another area very near us. So uh, as we're harvesting the animal, you know we got eyes up. And our plan was simple, uh, get the meat and pack it out to the boat. Uh, the problem with that plan is that we got misdirected on our way out because we thought we were going to take a shorter route and it ended up putting us in a place where we were going to have to spend the night. Now, if you've ever heard any hunting stories or if you know anything about this, you know one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to spend the night on Kodiak Island with a bunch of uh, meat 
on you or around you. As we're, you know, it's pouring rain as we're doing this, so we've got like blood from the meat getting all over our clothes. So it's very difficult to get away from the scent at this point. Uh, we came into a situation where our only option was to camp for the night. And so, you know, we all were trying to act like men and not be afraid of what we were about to enter into. Uh, I myself, I never experienced fear, but from the other members of the party, I could sense that there was some fear. And so uh, what I did is I got myself in between two other guys and kind of cuddled up to my brother, who's about 6'10", and I felt pretty good. Felt like I would be at least the last to go. I remember saying to myself as I closed my eyes, not to sleep, but to act like I was going to sleep, uh, I remember uh, quoting to myself Psalm 4.8, I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, will make me dwell in safety. Uh, bears also don't make noises. Do you know that when they're hunting? Um, I was very happy when dawn came. I was very happy when there was some light. Uh, this is, this is a, a big deal when you're in darkness, when you're in the middle of difficult things, when you're in the middle of tragedy or evil, when things are going poorly in the world or in your world. This is a major, major thing for the light to finally dawn, for you to finally get that glimpse of God moving on your behalf, of God's provision for you when you didn't think there would be any, for God's protection over you when you thought all hope was lost. Uh, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul writes this, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Uh, everybody should have that verse memorized. Uh, unless you're not like me at all. Uh, but I get very impatient with the process. Uh, I'm not a very patient guy. Uh, I, I, want, I want to have the things that are going to happen within me, that are supposed to happen within me, I want them to happen now. I want to be more pure. I want to be more wise. I want to be more loving. I want to be more sacrificial. I want all of those things to happen right now and not over time. Anybody else? Let's just get there now. God is calling me to holiness, to be a holy person. Why not just go ahead and put that on me right now? But apparently God wants us to go through a process and he wants to trust us that when it doesn't look like work is being done, work is being done. When it doesn't look like we're winning, we are winning because we are with God and we are in his process, right? Paul says that it is in our weakness that God's strength is revealed. It's in this process of God refining us, of God taking us into places where we feel like we're in exile. Right? Remember before Jesus 
comes on the scene, there is like a uh, 400 year period where the people of Israel, they haven't heard boo from God. Right? There's no prophets. There's no prophecy. There's, there's nobody uh, in direct connection with God leading their nation. There's just this gap of time where God appears to be silent. But is he silent? No, he's just waiting for the right moment to send Jesus into this world. He's just ready, waiting for the stage to be set so that he can walk onto the stage at just the right moment when Augustus Caesar appears to be in power, when Herod appears to be in power, when things seem to be at their very worst. Jesus walks onto the scene. God has made a promise to complete his work within you. God has made a promise to complete his work in this world. And the reason we believe that those promises will be fulfilled is because all of the work that God has done in human history up to this point, because all of the work that God has done in our lives up to this point, right? We just sang the song earlier, what he's done, what he's done, what he's done. And that is why we have a great hope for an incredible, incredible future. God has called you and I to be ministers of reconciliation, to take this hope that we have and share it with the people around us, not just in word, but also in deed, to bring hope into their lives, to use our power, our resources, our creativity, our energy, our time to dive into the lives of other people who are in hopeless scenarios and bring them a taste of the hope that God offers for us here and for eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us to be people of hope. Lord, as we hear news reports, we get into political conversations, we hear about relational breaks, as we hear about tragedy. Father, we pray that you would remind us of the hope that we have in you. Lord, as people run after so many things in this world to give them hope, possessions or experiences or promotions or certain relationships. Father, we pray that you would just remind us over and over again as to where true hope lies. Lord, that we would put our faith in you, that we would be determined to live lives of hope, that when, when people around us are struggling, that they would come to us because they know that we will encourage them because they sense that we are filled with a hope that is different than anything else they can find anywhere else other than in you. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Our Lord, our Savior, the bringer of all hope. Amen. Uh,